We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Welcome back, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Tucker Bagley's behind the glass. You guys with us, 215-592-9494. That's how you join the show on this Wednesday night. One hour from now, Trey Wingo will join the show to talk some NFL Eagles after the loss. What do you think about the Eagles bouncing back? How concerned would he be about what we saw on Monday? I don't believe the Eagles were exposed on Monday night. I disagree with that E-word that is out there. I believe they had one really bad night, and the way they lost that game is not repeatable. Four turnovers. They had turned the ball over basically the entire season. They had four. Twelve third-down conversions allowed. It never happened in franchise history. I don't believe it's a game that will happen again. He's my try it, but to pull that off and do it the way the commanders did, kind of a perfect storm. I- I'm not concerned that the Eagles were exposed. Do you think they were? 215-592-9494. Say how Bortle talks to the Eagles. We also will play for you a good chunk of the Dave Dabrowski press conference today, along with Sanfold. Sam got to answer one question. Um, but about the offseason, about the plans, will Reese Hoskins be traded? What kind of pitching are they after in terms of high end or kind of mid-tier rotation depth? And, and really, what are they going to do in this middle infield the field with the shortstop hole they now have, shortstop second base hole they now have? So all that's coming up. But I just want to bring this clip to you because we got the, the story, I guess, at least as we have it now, on Bryce Harper. Listen to this, about a little over a minute, back and forth. Dabrowski answered questions about Bryce's elbow and the latest on when surgery will happen and what it means for Bryce Harper. He is uh, going to have surgery next Wednesday, a week from today, by Dr. Elatros. Um, we have no prognosis, really, until he goes into the elbow and takes a look at it at that time. But he will have surgery on Wednesday. So we don't know if it's Tommy John or there was another one that's more similar yeah. to the Reese Hoskins yes, surgery? Yes, we're not sure of that. We're not sure of that. Okay. So um, at this point, uh, we'll, I mean, we'll have something at that time with the surgery um, and, and the anticipation something will happen. Um, I would think it will slow him down for the season, but we'll know more next week. Does that impact how you tackle the offseason or not? Well, it could. Um, but I don't know that until we really get the, the full diagnosis of it. So, uh, I mean, we're having meetings now. We cover every single, hopefully every single topic we can think of, possible clubs, free agent signings, trades, all of that stuff. So, um, you know, in the back of our mind, there is some, uh, will be discussions of, you know, what do we do if, which may be nothing, you know, because, you know, we're in a situation that, I mean, right now we're looking at it coming back in DH, and at some portion of it, we have other players that can DH, you know, between, you know, when you look around Schwarber and Castellanos and Hoskins and Bohm and 
reemote so we want to give them some time off. So we need to kind of fit that all into the total picture of what we'll be doing. It said this summer that if he had Tommy John, if it got to that extreme, he kind of compared. Otani had Tommy John surgery, where he ended up coming missing a little bit of time early on, then DHing. Is that kind of your understanding of it as well? Well, the possibility, the problem you end up, um, and just and that's why it's everybody's ligaments different on where it could be torn, and how much of a tear it is, and all. So until they get in there, we're really not sure. And they're not sure what this all means for Bryce Harper. But here's my interpretation of all this. Bryce Harper is going to miss a chunk of the start of next season. I mean, totally miss a chunk of the start of next season. And this is a part of this is a repercussion of the run the Phillies went on. Like, none of us are giving it back. Bryce Harper won't give it, give it back. I mean, the swing of his life, a, a pennant, a trip to the World Series. But the Phillies have lost here a month and a half of Bryce Harper for next season because they made the playoffs. That's just a reality. It's not a bad thing. Would you trade it? I would not. I, I'll, I'll keep what happened in October. Um, now, if they won the World Series, it's like a no-brainer, of course. Now, they didn't win the World Series, and next year will be impacted. But I'm not. what I took of that is I'm not sure when we see Bryce Harper in the outfield again. Like Just based on timelines, is June a possibility for Bryce Harper? I think it is. Uh, Shohei Otani, and uh, Todd Zalecki in that back-and-forth mentioned Otani – had surgery at the beginning of October, at the end of the Angels season, because, of course, the Angels don't make the playoffs a couple years ago, and he was DHing in the beginning of May. So you kind of use that timeline. Well, mid-November, maybe we're talking about June for Bryce Harper to come back at DH, but I, I'm wondering, is even there in that clip, uh, DeBras talking about him DHing at some point next year. Like, is he playing the outfield next season? How do they work him in? With that progression, because it's not like he could just like wake up and play. Like he's got to build up his arms. I'm sure he can hit before he could play the outfield every day. I'm not sure when he's a regular outfielder again. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of looked up because Didi Gregorius had Tommy John surgery. I think following the 2018 season, right. and he had it done in the beginning of October, and he was back to playing shortstop for the New York Yankees by I think June 7th or 8th of the following season. Right, so that that's about a seven month injury, and you kind of extrapolate that, and I would put Bryce probably around 4th of July-ish, maybe middle of July to playing the outfield, but you're right. I mean, I think they're certainly more eager to get his bat in the lineup than his arm in the outfield, so could we see a situation where he comes back end of May, early June as the DH, and maybe by the All-Star break or the trade deadline, he's able to play two or three days in right field? I think that's probably the best case scenario right now. You know, Bryce Harper's going to miss time. I mean, that now again, they also said in there, Dabrowski mentioned they don't know for sure it's Tommy John. Look, I, I have no idea. I'm not a doctor. I haven't seen an MRI. All I know is it, it's a red flag to me that this injury happened in April. It is November now. Sometimes these um, UCL tears heal themselves, or, or there's like the beginning of healing. And you don't even need the Tommy John. That's, I think that's what they're kind of hoping for when they get to next week. But does anyone really think they're going to go in there and, and be like, yeah, he's, it's fine. We just need to do the minor surgery. It just feels to me like if there was healing, we would know about it. Remember they tried the, the process of healing. They did the injection. I mean, he, he, I don't, what was the last time you think he threw a baseball? May? He try, I think he tried to throw in May, and they shut it down. The fact that a doctor said we need to do surgery next week, my gut tells me Tommy John's happening. Yeah, it feels like a legitimate injury. I mean, they they mentioned the, the Reese Hoskins injury on the UCL, right. which happened, was that last year, two years ago? Two years ago. He was back by opening day. He was back by spring training. He was fine. If that somehow 
is miraculously the case, then that's good news. And Bryce Harper will be on the field and, and possibly in right field for opening day. But I don't know. I mean, this is an injury that's now lingered for almost two years. Yeah. And the other thing, and I, I'm not trying to sound alarm bells, but hitters that have Tommy John surgery, sometimes they take some time. It's weird because this injury didn't affect his his offense at all. I mean, he was great. He was he was a, he was a tremendous offensive player despite a, a tear in his elbow. If you go through some of the offensive players that have had Tommy John, like Tucker mentioned, Didi Gregorius, and Bryce Harper's way better than Didi Gregorius. But I'm just looking at his numbers now. His OPS dropped over 100 points that first year off of Tommy John. He just wasn't very good. And I don't know if it's a timing thing, if your arm feels weird. I'm trying to think of others. I think, um, Matt Weeders had it way back in the day, the catcher for the Orioles. And I feel like he wasn't as productive the next year as he typically was. Kendry's Morales, the, the DH back in the day for the Angels, had it. It's not often position players have it. I think Corey Seager had it. And I'm not, I have to look up to see if the next year he was also worse uh, compared to his norm. But that is also part of this. Like, whenever he gets back, we're going to expect the Bryce Harper that for the last, you know, four years, he's been a, a tremendous Philly, but certainly for the last two, he's been one of the five or ten best hitters in baseball. That might be a big ask. I, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be part of one of the biggest questions of next season is, number one, when do they get Bryce back? And number two, is he Bryce off of Tommy John surgery? I, I'm not sure if he is. I, I'm not sure if he is right away. That that could be something we have to wait and see. 215-592-9494. Comment on the Bryce Harper Surgery coming up on on Wednesday, and of course the Eagles, do you believe they were exposed? I just looked up Corey Seager. He had Tommy John in April of 2018. Missed the rest of the season. Missed the rest of the season. Came back 2019. Had an OPS of 817, led the league in doubles. Okay, so he was good. Um, not- and then the next year's OPS was 943, and he looked more like the Corey Seager we, we've seen before. All right, so I guess a little bit more down compared to his – he wasn't at his peak. Uh, he but, wasn't an all-star that year. Okay. So, I mean, that's – I think it is – if he has to have Tommy John saying that he has a down offensive year when he comes back isn't a crazy thought. I mean, that certainly could happen. Hopefully, we get this fixed, and it's not a problem the rest of his career. Eric is at South Philly talking some Eagles. What's up, Eric? Hey, how you doing, John? Good, Eric. What are you thinking? Yeah, just wanted to – I don't necessarily think we were exposed. I mean, you look at our defense, common sense, they take a run on them. Um, you know, you, you try to stop everything, you're going to stop nothing. So we're built to stop the pass. And where Washington excelled at is they passed the ball when we thought they were going to run because they pretty much adjusted their game plan after that sack fumble, and they realized their old line stood no chance against us. So they just decided to put two tight ends in there to chip block to help out Heineke. And he's, like, running backwards like 10 yards to get a pass off so I'm pretty sure they knew they had no chance except to run and the type of running that they did they, they pretty much attacked the a gap because it was straight up the middle and they knew our linebacker is not going to shoot the a gap for some odd reason so that's pretty much um all they did and that I mean it, it worked for them because our offense was off the you know not necessarily like oh they did something that was revolutionary like other teams going to copy and it's going to be the same result not necessarily. Like, if our offense get on the field more, that was not going to be a game. Oh, and- Eric, that, you hit it there. Like, right, another team could try this. The Colts could try it this week, or the Titans could try it. But if the Eagles' offense plays better, holds the ball, doesn't turn it over, the strategy exactly. doesn't work. It, it doesn't work it doesn't the same. work. You know, and the, 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 um, the, the quest fumble was, oh, my gosh. But, like, it's, it's because our offense wasn't on the field, so we try to press. Players try to press. 
And you, like, you caught the ball and you fell down. I was so mad at that. Like, just stay down. It's almost like in basketball, Eric, when there's a breakaway and the guy misses the layup. That's what it felt like. Like, you're all by yourself and you just, how did that ball pop out of your hands? And, Eric, the other thing I noticed with the run game defense, they're not tackling well enough. It wasn't like the the holes were gigantic or they were getting gashed. Like, like Brian Roberts just kept running through arm tackles. Exactly. The first guy always moved. (laughs) Like, so... It, and, and and Fletcher got to play better, man. They, they ran at you like that. Like you, you have to play better. Like at least Javon got an excuse. He's he's penetrating better than you. So it's like, yo, you can run on me. At least I'm getting back. But Fletcher, you're not you're not penetrating. You're getting ran on. Like you got to step up. Yeah, like, and, and you're Eric. You're spot on with that, Eric. I appreciate the call, man. I'm not sure exactly what Fletcher Cox does well right now. You know, Howie Rosen is probably going to win the Executive of the Year award uh, across the NFL this year, and he deserves to. I mean, look at the moves he's made. Obviously, Jalen Hurts emerging as an MVP candidate, his draft pick. He's built a really good team, a a team that I think will end up with the number one seed in the NFC, which is where they are right now. One, One move I didn't understand in the moment, one move I don't understand now, I don't know if it was like a lifetime achievement type of thing. Why did Fletcher Cox get cut and then get a $14 million contract? I mean, I'm sure the way they moved the money around, it was not as disadvantageous as as it sounds like when I say it. But is Fletcher Cox even visible out there during these games? So in the last six games, Fletcher has zero sacks, one tackle for loss in six games. He's hit the quarterback twice. He ranks right now bottom third. Uh, among defensive tackles graded by Pro Football Focus, uh, among the 66 that play, you know, a decent amount of snaps. I'm not talking about a guy that just plays one snap a game. Like, uh, among the guys that get significant playing time across the NFL, he ranks 45th. He ranks in the bottom third of those defenders. I mean, what does he do well right now, Fletcher Cox? I, I, I don't see it. He, he played a lot of snaps on, on Monday night, barely made a play. The Fletcher thing is, it's bizarre because I, I, I just... They play him a lot. Like he had 70 snaps on Monday. He had a lot he of snaps. 86% of the defensive snaps. Yeah, and that's, I think, a product of their thin right now at defensive tackle, which is why they're signing Linville Joseph. But Fletcher doesn't look any less cooked than I was afraid he was before the season. No, and he, he had a couple flashes early in the year, but, I mean, he looks like a guy who has a lot of mileage on his body. And I think it's fascinating that they have to bring in 330-pound defensive linemen when – the two highest paid defensive linemen on your team are still Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave, right? Like you, you still have spent a ton of money and a ton of resources on that position, even with Jordan Davis out and you can't figure it out and you can't, you know, field a competent defensive front without adding a, another big body from the outside. Yeah. And you know, it makes also makes me wonder if moving forward, I mean, they spend what the 13th pick in the NFL draft on Jordan Davis. Would you be shocked if they have two first-round picks coming up this year, their own and the Saints? Would you be shocked if another pick of theirs high in the NFL draft is another defensive tackle? Maybe one different than Jordan Davis, maybe more of a an athletic one, but I wouldn't be shocked. Fletcher looks done. They're signing guys off the street at that position, and isn't Hargrave a free agent to be? Yeah, I mean, they, they may have to get another player there. I mean, that, that position— I think Hargrave might have one more year. Okay. I think Cox is done this year and Hargrave is done next year. Yeah, but they still need more there moving forward. I mean, you can make a case there's more certainty at the pastress position with Sweat's not going anywhere and he's young. And Reddick signed on a multi-year deal. I mean, they could always use another outside pass rusher, of course, but I wouldn't be shocked if they keep adding to that position because it's just not, it's not great. I mean, Fletcher's just been poor. Let's talk to Bill in Springfield. Hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. 
Bill going once. Bill going twice. Bill disappeared like Fletcher Cox. Dale is up. What's up, Dale? Hey, Joe. How's it going tonight? Dale, I'm doing well, buddy. What's on your mind? Well, uh, first of all, a uh, couple things. Hopefully you'll give me time. Mm-hmm. Number one, um, I talked to you back in the off season. You were talking about is Jalen Hurts the guy. How good are we looking now? Oh, Dale, we're looking great. I, I feel I feel stronger every week about Jalen Hurts and his future. I mean, we know the kind of leader he is, and he's just improved leaps and bounds as a thrower. I mean, I, I am very excited uh, about him, and, and I just – they're in good hands at quarterback. Uh, abs- absolutely. I agree with you. Second thing, um, how frustrated are you at Gannon? I mean, in the second half – he he played, uh, you know, the defense was a little, uh, you know, up in your face, and it worked. Where the hell was that in the first half? Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't I know, get it. I know. Sometimes it does take him long to adjust. Usually he makes good second-half adjustments. That's one thing I will give Gannon. Like, over the year and a half he's been here, the se- second half when it's not going well in the first half, he usually tightens it up and he, he can figure out what he did wrong, but – it's like on the fly, he can't do it. He needs to get into the locker room, and I don't know if he talks it over with the assistants or like the, 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 the veterans on the defense, but I would like to see some of those adjustments quicker because, Dale, in a playoff game or maybe a Super Bowl, like you have one bad quarter in the first or the second, that could lose you the game. Exactly, exactly. Lastly, um, it's a caller before mentioned it. I'm screaming at the TV with the Quez Watkins play. With the way the night was going and you were only one score behind or whatever it was, stay down, man. Wait to get touched. Come back and play another down instead of trying to, you know, grab the ball and get up and run. He obviously didn't have good, good control of it. I could have I could have predicted that. What 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 do you think? Yeah, about I mean, I, I think that's a, a tough spot. And, Dale, I appreciate the call because, you know, you, you want to make a play, right? You want to make a play there. And I think I think Sirianni said this the other night. They teach their players, if you don't think you're down, get up and run through the end zone. I mean, because usually what's the worst that happens? They review the play, and they say you were down there. But if, if they, you weren't touched and you get to the end zone, it's almost a free touchdown. I'm not going to beat up a player for trying to score a touchdown. I mean, especially losing late in the game. You're tr- I mean, that's the name of the game. You're trying to score a touchdown. So I'm not going to be annoyed at Quez for that. That's about ball security, though. That, like you have, to, you have to find a way not to get that ball knocked out and – it's kind of weird. I think the body control is weird because you're not in your typical running form. You're getting up. You're, re, you're you're kind of getting your bearings back again, and then maybe you don't have the ball the way it needs to be. He can't fumble that ball. Like I, I'm not going to say next time stay down. I'm just going to say you can't fumble that football. Just bottom line, it can't be fumbled here, and, and it was. And that that of all the pe- of all the turnovers, that was the one. It was like I thought the game ended on that. I didn't feel like all right, they're just not their night. Yeah, I mean, it kind of – it wasn't – I mean, the A.J. Brown one I wasn't upset with because you watch it, and that was just an unbelievable play by that defensive back yeah. to, to wrestle away. Really a perfect throw from Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown. But, yeah, that Quez Watkins fumble, it kind of just felt like the air got let out of the stadium, right? You had all the momentum in the world. You had just had a, a huge touchdown drive to pull within two and a 50-yard completion to, to really put you in the position to take the lead and – 
when he dropped it, it was kind of like, oh, well, that it's just one of those nights. It wasn't wasn't meant to be. Yeah, and then they showed the replay, and it was like, Did, was he touched? No, not really. It was and then the I was original like, angle was like maybe, and then you get close, and they flipped it, and no one was in five yards of him. No, and then I thought like, oh, maybe maybe he was down before the ball came out. <laughs> not even close. The ball just popped out of his hands, and uh, it was a shame because they they probably would have won the game there if it didn't happen. What to watch for? Sponsored by Xfinity, Xfinity the faster net in Philadelphia, and the sponsor of our Xfinity Lounge. So I, I wasn't expecting to watch the NL Cy Young voting tonight because, I mean, quite frankly, I didn't think there was any reason. So I thought Sandy Alcantara would win going away. He did. He received every first Unanimous. place vote. Unanimous. The winner uh, finished the second and third was uh, Max Fried, Julio Urias. But how about this? Aaron Nola finished fourth for the National League Cy Young Award. He nearly finished third as well. Urias was third. And the gap between those two wasn't significant. They were pretty close in second place votes. I mean, we. I mean, Aaron Nola obviously had a really good season. I just didn't expect this. Like, if you if you said me, you said Joe predicted. I would have said, I don't know, maybe fifth or sixth. He would have gotten a few votes toward the bottom. I, I would have thought Carlos Rodon would have been ahead of him. He wasn't. I would have thought Zach Gallen with that scoreless inning streak could have been ahead of him. But how about Aaron Nola? You know, now on his Baseball Reference page, he'll have that C C Y four. Next this is like the name. third time he's finished top five in Cy Young voting, isn't it? Uh, eight, 2018, definitely. Did he do it in the pandemic? Maybe the pandemic year he finished top 10, top five? Uh, he finished seventh in the pandemic year. So is that it, three top 10 finishes? Yeah, he finished third in 2018, seventh in 2020. Now this will be, be fourth. Yeah. I mean, What's it, fascinating it, is both Philadelphia voters had him at fifth on their ballot. So it wasn't home cooking. It wasn't. It was actually quite the opposite. Are, are the two... Voters from Philadelphia had Carlos Rodon and Zach Gallen listed at number two. And that's what I would have guessed. Like, they would have finished ahead of, of him, but no. But, I mean, it wasn't like it was a particularly close race. Alcatara won going away, as he should have. But Aaron Nola, fourth in the NL in the Cy Young vote for after— But would you say he's even the best pitcher on his own team? No, but I do think he deserved—like, if you're talking about deserving Cy Young votes this year, Nola deserved them more than Wheeler. He pitched the full season. He did, and Wheeler missed time, and I think Nola's numbers stack up pretty pretty favorably to, to Zach Wheeler, but I think it's interesting. If you polled most people, I think everyone would say Zach Wheeler is this team's ace, not Aaron Nola. Yeah, but you know, I think Nola probably got a lot of credit for throwing as many innings as he did because I know Rodon, they shut down at like 170. I'm not sure how many innings Gallon pitched, but, I mean, Wheeler pitches, uh, excuse me, Nola pitches a lot of innings, a lot of good innings. He's fourth in the NL Cy Young race. 215-592-9494. Bryce Harper heading for elbow surgery next Wednesday. It feels to me like we won't see him until June at the earliest. Tucker's predicting even later than that. And I'm not sure if we see him play the outfield for a while on a consistent basis if it is Tommy John surgery. More on the Phillies. We'll play Dombrowski later in the show. 8 o'clock, Trey Wingo. All your calls on the Phillies, the offseason. And do you believe the Eagles were exposed on Monday? I don't. I think it was one bad, fluky game. And when we get back... We've talked a lot this week about penalties, the referees, how bad they were on Monday. I want to hear what Jason Kelsey had to say on his podcast with his brother about the referees. And I think we need to stop beating them up over one penalty on Monday because it came out that the referee on the field didn't explain it well enough to us. I don't think it was the wrong call after hearing what they actually flagged it for. We'll hit that next on Sports Radio 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Welcome back. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Tucker Bagley is behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-9494. That's how you hop in on this Wednesday night. Coming up 8 o'clock, Trey Wingo will join the show. Talks to football with him, including this Eagles loss. What does it mean? Were they exposed on Monday night? I don't believe so. 215-592-9494 to hop in. Be part of the show. We'll play for you the bulk of Dave Dombrowski's press conference. Later react with a hot stove check-in. At nine, including the offseason plan, the way they're framing the shortstop discussion right now and who's who their shortstop is today. And will Reese Hoskins be traded? Fun back and forth with um, Dave Dabrowski and Howard Eskin we'll touch on in a little bit as well. But I want to hit on, on two things here with the referees and the penalties on Monday before we go back to the phone lines. There's a lot of chatter this week about the refs, about how bad they were. First, let's hear from Jason Kelsey on his podcast with his brother, uh, Travis, New Heights, talking about the refs and about how, while well, Jason doesn't think they're ever really to blame for a loss, here's how they talked about it, the Monday night loss. I cannot stand people blaming referees. We had so many opportunities to win that football game that we didn't take care of. 100%. There's a feeling now, more than ever, and I think part of it's just because of replay and the ability to slow things down and everything's in high definition. So it's very apparent when an official doesn't make the correct call or misses something, right? Yeah. Officials ain't going to be perfect. They ain't going to make every call. And the reality is you got to go out there and play the game that's called. That was a face mask on Dallas Goddard. No, it wasn't. You know why? Because they didn't f***ing throw the flag. All right? So it wasn't a face mask. All right? It's a loser's mentality to put it on somebody else. I'm with you, man. It really bothers me when people put it on officials. I've done it in, in the past. I've blamed games. I blamed a playoff loss against the Steelers to a ref and told him he couldn't even work a foot locker. I've said some of the silliest, sore loser that anybody could ever say in the moment you're going to be pissed off but the reality is there's so many other moments in the game well he's right about that um now it's interesting that he he kind of singled out the dallas goddard face mask there i think we all realized that was a missed call i mean kelsey could say it wasn't because they didn't call it it was a missed call i mean that that's obvious now two other calls in the game have been debated a lot over the past couple days and i think one of them we've moved past. It just was a weird play, but it wasn't the wrong call. That would be the Heineke knee, right? Taylor Heineke took a knee as he was about to get sacked. Brandon Graham got a penalty because he kept going to make the play. Was that the wrong call by the referees? They blown a call? No. I mean, what else is the referee supposed to do? The quarterback took a knee. He has to call roughing after that if he gets hit. The play is over. And now, it's a it's a weird play. It's a tough play. It's a bang-bang play because what is the defensive player going to do? Like, stop immediately? It's odd. Maybe they need to put something in there where that play isn't allowed. Like, you can't just take a knee once you've started the play and run. I I don't know. 
uh, or maybe you have to kind of go down fully to the ground. I'm not sure what to do. But the other play that was talked about a lot, Monday night into Tuesday, that was a quote-unquote bad call by the referees, was that hit that Chauncey Garner-Johnson got called on for the late hit by the sideline. And obviously, you watch the replay, it wasn't late. The player was still in bounds. Well, I'm actually going to blame the, the messaging from the referees on Monday and the broadcast for not telling us what the actual penalty was. Tucker, did you realize that that penalty was not for hitting a guy late out of bounds? I did not because Joe Buck never told me that. Well, exactly. So we were led to believe, like, hey, look at these morons. They can't see the guy still in bounds. That wasn't the penalty. The penalty they called, and I've watched it a couple times, and it's, I'd say it's a 50-50, but it's less a, egregious. Less egregious. They called Gardner Johnson for lowering his helmet to initiate contact there. That was the penalty. That was the personal foul. And I watched it again before this segment. It did look like he lowered his head a little bit. I mean, it, you could say it's ticky-tack, but at least I get that because the guy was inbounds. But they've got to be better with their messaging on these penalties. Otherwise, I mean, Kelsey's right because it's, it's easy to look at it and say this, they don't know what they're doing. Well, at least tell us the right call. Yeah, I just think there needs to be better oversight in-game. And whether that's the institution of a sky judge, I just – I know why they have replay. I know why they have every system set up. And at the end of the day, they just want to get the call right. Yeah. Right? And when you get a situation like the Dallas Goddard fumble where they went and reviewed it. They had to watch him had his face mask tugged off like six, seven, eight times in that two-minute stretch. And knowing that they couldn't do anything, I just think – the institution of some kind of fail-safe where I don't want every play reviewed. Like, I don't want judgment calls and holding calls and pass interference reviewed. But if there's someone in a booth watching the TV feed live and says, no, 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 we missed something. Let's go back and get that fixed. I think it's just better for the sport. It is. Yeah, and as far as the, the subjective calls, the, the, the holdings, there's a Pandora's box with that too, right? Because if you could just challenge anything at any point – on the biggest plays of the game, like if someone has a 80-yard touchdown, wouldn't you just challenge with the hope that someone sees a holding on the other side of the line of scrimmage and your whole play is ruined? Like, there is a Pandora's box there that I understand why they don't want to open up because it will ruin the excitement of the game. But the Goddard one seems pretty easy to fix. Yeah, I mean, they tried it with pass interference and nothing ever got overturned, right? Because referees didn't want to admit they were wrong. And a lot of those pass interference calls are judgment calls. And you can kind of make an argument either way. I just think for these egregious things, like, let's just clean it up a little bit. And it just it seems so silly to me that there's so much red tape around replay and reviews and everything when it should just be common sense. Yeah, and, and then also the messaging could be better so we understand what was just called. Again, until today, Pro Football Talk had the story to that. That's how I found out that that call on Garner Johnson was not a late hit out of bounds. It was lowering his helmet. How did I f- – we all watched the game on Monday. I haven't heard anyone on WIP talk about it. Maybe, maybe today someone brought this up, whether it be the midday or afternoon because the pro football talk story. But, like, until today, that story wasn't out there. How did the referee on the field not tell us what the call was actually for? How did no one message this up to the – like, shouldn't there be someone also in the NFL office to primetime standalone game? Buck and Aikman are watching the replay and telling us, I don't know, he looked in bounds. Like, they don't even know what the call is. They're broadcasting the game. How- even the referee expert they brought in, John Perry, I yeah. think is who it is, yeah. he was in agreement. That was a terrible call. <laughs> it wasn't the- We're all commenting on a call that didn't exist. That they didn't- The call was not for hitting him late. The call, as I found out today, was for hitting him by lowering their head. I mean, like lowering his head, Gar- Gardner Johnson. The messaging has to be better. We need to know what the penalty calls actually are so we could properly yell about them. Isn't that the whole point? We want to yell. 
Tell us what we should yell about. Why aren't these referee experts on broadcasts more in tune with the NFL? Well, right? Like, I know they're contracted by the, the network, by Fox, CBS, ESPN. Why don't they have a direct line to, like, command center in New York? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not sure how, how much they're actually paying attention to their job. Did you see the Mike Pereira video on Sunday? I did not. All right. While I, when we take this call, go search Mike Pereira. Uh, and you'll you tell me if you think these refer these ex- rules experts are actually fully locked into their their game day routine because something tells me they got other stuff going on while they're doing the games. Tyler's in Pottstown. What's up, Tyler? Yo, Joe. How are you, buddy? Good, Tyler. What are you thinking? Well, yeah. Let me. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about the refs. Yeah, yeah. Mike Pereira. He's too busy sticking his tongue out looking at somebody off on the on the offset. That guy. That guy's a jack white. <laughs> That was the most disturbing video, Tyler. I saw that. I was like, I, I, my no, God, what, what is he doing? But like, is, he, is he, like, assaulting the camera? Like, what is that? Well, the other thing I was wondering, Tyler, is is he uh, able to do that has that set up from home? So I, I don't know if it's a wife, it's well, I mean, whatever, a spouse or a partner. I don't know. But, like, what has he got? What is he, is he actually paying attention to the game is what I'm wondering. Dude, I, I saw that, and I'm like, what, what is going on? I don't like, know. What is going on? The guy's on live TV, and he's sticking his tongue out looking at somebody. I know. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm so tired, and, and obviously that, that's not anything to do with what we're talking about. I'm just so tired of the referees, right? Like, like if we all see something on TV, all of us, both sides, right? If I'm screaming at my TV that there is a face mask that I can see 100 miles away, like, like you guys say, oh, they just want to make the right call. No, they don't care about the right call because if it was about making the right call, they would have made the right call. They, they just don't want to get proved wrong. I, I'm, I'm tired of the, the argument of, well, we can't make everything challengeable. What, why? Everything should be challengeable. You only get two challenges, so don't tell me, oh, well, oh, it's going to slow the game down. You know, it's good to, these games are going to be four out. No, you, you, only have to, you don't have unlimited challenges. You just get to challenge everything. You, still, you, you only get two. Right, and, you know, and Tyler, it's interesting. Is for years, Bill Belichick has tried to institute this, right? Like every year they do the rules committee thing and they, they put ideas in for rule changes. Belichick for years has been on this. Like we should be able to challenge anything – or, you know, penalties, whatever. And then, like you said, we we still only get a couple of challenges, so it's not really going to change the game. It's just it's a strategy more than anything. Right. You, you're still only going to be able to use the two. I don't know. they, they got to just do something because it, they, they, it needs to be right. And this is a perfect example of a face mask. A guy gets hurt, right? Oh, it's about the players. We want to make them safe. Guy gets hurt, gets pulled down by his neck, you know, and, and we just, oh, well, it's a game. You know, I, that's frustrating. I didn't even call about the Ravs. I, you know, I wanted to talk about Jalen Hurts. I, you know, I, I went into this year. I, I said Jalen Hurts, the, the guy. This guy is our franchise quarterback. The, he has grown in every aspect. He is such a smart player. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's a smart player. The guy finally can throw a deep bomb. I am all in on Jalen Hurts. This guy is our future, and I want the rest of the city to agree with me on that. I th- well, Tyler, I think that mo- more are these days, and Tyler, I appreciate the phone call. It's, it's funny, you know, I don't remember all these Jalen Hurts supporters, and I'm not saying Tyler was not. In fact, I kind of remember Tyler being on the Jalen Hurts side of things. But it's funny how, you know, when uh, years go by and there's like a special event or a game, right, where someone had a, hit a magical home run, like the Bryce Harper home run game. Years from now, you, you, you'll hear a lot of people say they were there for that. 
obviously we know there was, what, 44,000 people at Citizens Bank Park. Tucker was there among them to watch Bryce Harper hit the home run and put the Phillies to the, to the, to the World Series. I always think when something special happens, everyone wants to pretend they were there the whole time. Now, again, our last caller, I, I believe he was on board. But have you noticed we're getting a lot of calls lately? Like, see, I, I believed. I believed in Jalen Hurts. Do you remember all these Jalen Hurts supporters last offseason? I, I don't remember this volume of them. No, I remember it being very 50-50. Yeah. And I don't think there are a lot of people who are outspoken anti-Jalen Hurts, but I'll throw myself into a category of people who were skeptical sure. of Jalen Hurts. I-, I needed to see him take another big step forward. Now he's passed every test with flying colors so far. But, yeah, I would say about two, three months ago, there weren't that many people who were excited to see Jalen Hurts sign a contract worth $40 million a year, Well, that's which is sure. where we're headed. Of course we are, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guessed before the season about 35, but he's playing better than I even I thought he would. I, I, said this, I said I thought he could be a top – I think I guessed like he would be the 12th best quarterback in the league this year. He's been better than that. I, I don't know. Is he, is he third? Is he fifth? Is he sixth? I mean, we'll see how this year plays out, but he's certainly been top 10, I mean, this year. That's why he's an MVP candidate. And we are trending towards towards that kind of money for Jalen Hurts. Um and I, and I do think that if he keeps playing like this, I don't think we'll get many complaints around here. People are going to be excited he's the quarterback for a long time. And I, I think the other part is we could see he's the leader of the team. He's he, I, I think he's going to continue to work hard and, and progress. I don't think he's going to like sit on his laurels if he gets paid. Now, that's, that's interesting that they lost on Monday, first loss, yet very little this week is criticism towards Hurts. And I get it. I don't think he played poorly on Monday. Was it his best game? No. But... I mean, he did throw two deep bombs that were perfect down the field that both should have turned into points on those drives, and, and neither did, and it wasn't his fault. It's their first loss in a while that isn't his fault, right? Like the, the Tampa Bay game, you can yeah. kind of put on him for struggling. The Giants. Obviously, he didn't play in the, the Cowboys game at the end of the year, but the, Giants the last game. loss with him was the Giants game. He had four interceptions, three or four three. interceptions. I three. I mean, this is the first time in, in a very long time where the Eagles weren't overmatched like they were at the beginning of last season when they were losing to, to teams like the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. But I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say Jalen Hurts is blameless because you're the quarterback, but he isn't the reason they lost that night. Yeah, you know what? I'm looking at his numbers right now. It's it's remarkable to watch his, his yearly growth. Just there's three years in the NFL. Obviously, he only played a little bit his first year, but it's crazy the trajectory he's on because, this, you know, progression isn't usually linear or it isn't always linear, right? Like, just because you are a rookie doesn't mean you're going to be 5% better your second year and then 5% better the third. You know, ups and downs happen with young players. Regression happens. I mean, Jalen Hurts, 52% completion rookie year. 61.3 last year. 67.9 this year. Uh, in terms of, let's go to interception percentage. The percentage of his passes that are picked off. 2.7% in his brief four games starting as a rookie. 2.1 last year. It's 1.1 right now. His yards per attempt, 7.2, 7.3, 8.4. Adjusted yards per attempt, 6.8, 7.189. Like, it's all just keeps going up and up. Passer rating, 77.6, 87.2, 106.4. I mean, I, I think this is pretty rare. I mean, young, even young quarterbacks, like, they go up, they go a little bit down, they kind of stay steady. Then maybe there's a big leap. It's just, it's just a steady trajectory up with Jalen Hurts so far in his young career. Leo is in Allentown. Hey, Leo. Hey, guys, how are you doing tonight? Good, Leo. What's up tonight? So I'll start with the refs, then I'll go to Jalen Hurts, and I'll finish with the Phillies. I think in terms of calls that should be allowed to be reversed, I think you have to think in terms of safety. 
So that Dallas Goddard play with the face mask, obviously they rip his helmet, and that's a safety issue. And I think that is the kind of call where they need to sit down at the end of the year and say, hey, this is a safety issue. This should be something that we can overturn in terms of that. Um, in terms of Jalen Hurts, yeah, he's been uh, he's been incredible this year. I was probably more on the 50-50. I kind of said in the beginning of the year, it's good to have him. We'll see what he can do with these weapons, and he's definitely exceeded those expectations. And I I really think he had a, a better game than people are giving him credit for on Monday. Like, that that ball to Brown, that was a perfect, perfect pass. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that, that – uh, defensive back or safety, I forget what it was. They they just made a great play. He, and I even think Brown should have caught that, in my opinion. But, I mean, he, he threw well, and he's thrown really well this year. And his reads, I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed between last year and this year. He's making the correct reads, and he's adjusting in-game to make the correct reads. Even, like, if you watch him in week one, there was a few reads that he didn't make in Detroit, and I feel like by week three or week four, I'm like, wow, that was a, the right place at the right time for him to throw, or wow, that was a good read. So that has been really, really exciting. Yeah, Leo, you're right. Before you before you mention your Phillies point, um, I was watching the uh, that thing they had on ESPN before the game with RG3 sitting down with, with Vic and McNabb and Jalen Hurts, and I've, I, I think he takes pride in that, Leo, in trying to be smart as a quarterback because they, they were talking about the dual threat, right, obviously running and throwing. And then Hertz mentioned he wants to be a triple threat. He he doesn't just want to be known as like I can run or I could throw. He like the mind he thinks is just as important. It's obvious that he puts a lot of work in to be as smart as he could be, right? To to understand the reads because that that progression is significant. He always can run. Like he'll always be able to run as long as he's healthy. And I always thought his arm was good enough. But you're right that the, the the reads he's making now that's where he's really taking the biggest leap. Yeah, and I'll, I'll make one more point about the Eagles. That's the difference between him and, him and Wentz. Wentz made those reads that year that he had the MVP run, and then, I mean, his reads were awful after that. I don't know if that was because he got injured. I mean, a little bit of mental stuff. I mean, it, it's definitely a combination, but that's one area, area where I'm like, wow, this is a big difference between – and yeah, I mean, it's it's winning. Yeah, other. it's it's the quarterback playing winning football. It makes all the difference. Leo, what's your thought on the Phillies? Um, I think Harper's going to be out until June. I think it's going to be these are injuries that you have to make sure that you take your time with. My big thing is I'm I'm hoping they'll go out and get the the Giants pitcher, and I think that will take a lot off of Nola. I mean, you look at the amount of innings that he has to throw, and look, he's a workhorse, and we all know that, but it did kind of hurt us towards the end of the year, especially with those last, like, three starts that he had. You could tell he was just absolutely gassed, especially during the um, Padres series and the Houston series. Like, he just did not have anything left. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you add it up, he probably at that point, Leo, we appreciate the phone call. If you add up the postseason and the regular season, I can't imagine there was many pitchers that threw more innings than Aaron Nola. I mean, would you – he may have thrown the most when you add up the regular season because he was among the league leaders anyway during the regular season. Then he had to throw, I mean, what did he throw, 20-something more in the playoffs? If I'd say about that, 20-something more in the playoffs because I think he was in the two, what did he throw for the regular season, 220? Uh, he threw in the regular season 205. Okay, 205. And then and then the postseason he threw 25 more innings, so 230 total. Do we think anyone threw more in baseball this year? Sandy? Probably was in the two hundreds as but he didn't pitch the playoffs. Right. 
I mean, it, whatever the list is, it's a very short list of pitchers that actually threw more innings than than, than Aaron Nola this season across the full season. Yeah, was he probably tired by the end? I'm sure he was tired. Zabrowski was asked about that a bunch today, like guys that um, – yeah, Sandy threw 228.2. So so Aaron, in totality, Aaron Nola threw more than the guy who was the unanimous NL Cy Young winner during the regular season. He threw a lot – it's a lot of innings. And, and hopefully next year there's not a, you know, kind of a – an after effect of that, I, I, I don't tend to think there will be with Nola. Nola always throws a lot of innings. I mean, I think there was a stat during the season. Hasn't he had the most starts in baseball since 2018? Yeah, which is interesting because he had a lot of injury issues early yeah, on in his career. A back and I think a forearm too. He had a forearm issue when he was when he was very young. He's turned into one of baseball's biggest workhorses. Like that's one thing I I. Just wouldn't have predicted when they drafted him. Like, you know, his everyone said his ceiling was a number three. He's obviously been better than that. He's been closer to a high end two. He's a really good but I didn't see this coming. Like, he's probably if you write the workhorses down in baseball at whatever that is these days, he's gotta be one of the five horses, the guy that throws the most innings every year. Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate. His numbers kind of dipped in the pandemic year. He only made twelve starts and threw seventy one innings, but if you average per 162 over the since his first really breakout year in 2018, he's averaging 207 innings per 162 games, and that's over what a six year stretch. Yeah, like he's I mean that's Tom Glavin stuff. Tom Glavin made it to the Hall of Fame because he just took the ball every fifth day for 15 years. Yeah, I'm look. Aaron Nola has been. He was pretty good too. I don't want to discount Tom. Glavin. Yeah, yeah. He just he wasn't like uh, Jamie Moyer. He was a little better than that. But you're right. He he pitched every fifth day, and Aaron Nola's become that guy. I mean, you look at his his starts: 27, 33, 34, 12. But that was the pandemic season. 32, 32. I mean, you you kind of pencil him in now for 30 plus starts. That's what he's done for a very long time. Two one five five nine two ninety four nine four. Let's squeeze Dan in Levittown. And what's up, Dan? Yeah, what's going on, Dan? What do you think, buddy? No, I was just thinking, I was listening to guys talk about the referee calls. Listen, we, we had three penalties at the end of that game, and that, that, that made a huge difference. Um, no one's talking about the – I didn't hear you guys talk much about the, the trick play that Heineke played on us. I think Nick Sariani should have gave our defense a little heads up about that. But um, And I, the Chauncey, the Gardner thing, I, I, as soon as he hit him head-to-head, I knew it was a head-to-head contact. And the Goddard thing was unbelievable. If they missed that call and our player got hurt from a face mask I know. and we fumbled, it's unbelievable they didn't make that call. And it's amazing, Dan, how many referees feel just – like they have so many to, to – how did all of them miss that call? It was When you watched the replay, it was so blatant that his face mask was pulled down. And then, and then they called the Heineke one, which is – Heineke didn't even get hurt. And they called that, which is it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. How they don't call one, but they call the other one. I know, and but that that one is so weird. I've never really seen a play like that, Dan, because he did he did put his knee on the ground, so technically the play's over. But then, yeah, it, it, was, it was it was like a trick, right? Because he started to get back up. Yeah, it was it was it was it was. I think he had that planned, honestly, like in the back of his head. I think he had that planned, and um, our guys kind of fell for it. I mean, it, it sucks that that happened, but it was a lesson learned. And um, I was wondering how come. Um, what do you think about Slay getting – I remember last year he got burnt by McLaurin too. Yeah, he's he's got him a few times, Dan. It, it's it's not a great matchup for Dan. I appreciate the phone call. I mean, I, we still got to feel good about Slay overall. He's had a really good season. He's the he's one of the only corners to shut down Justin Jefferson. I mean, he really took him out of that game. And he and Jefferson's the best receiver in the league right there with Tyreek Hill. But McC, McLaurin, he does, not, he does not cover well. 
I wonder what it is. Is it is it because he's shiftier? I'm trying to think of the guys that that Slay's had his best games against. Like Jefferson's kind of long like Slay. Maybe he matches up with guys that are kind of built like him and they could use his long arms. But those smaller shifty guys have given him some trouble. But he struggled with bigger guys before, right? Like think back to him getting burned by, by DK Metcalf, right? Like and he, he struggled against more physical receivers in the past. So what do we got coming up? We have Michael Pittman, who's good, but I don't think quite on the level of these other guys. And Matt Ryan is throwing him the football. All right, after that, uh, Packers, I know Christian Alan Watson. Alan Lazard? You and yeah. Alan Lazard? I'm not really afraid of the Packers receivers. After that... Uh, there's not much to talk about with the Titans receivers. They don't really have a wide receiver. You notice that? They don't throw the ball. Um, they just kind of run it. After that, the was it the Giants after that? They have I mean they may have the worst receiver core in the league. I mean they benched Kenny Galladay. Yeah. That was really just a merciful move. After that it's the Bears, also a pretty poor receiver core. I guess Darnell Mooney's their best guy, but uh, after that it's the Cowboys. That's a challenge, obviously, with CeeDee Lamb, but But doesn't he usually work out of the slot? Like I feel like does. if Avante Maddox is back by that point, that would be an ideal matchup. Sure. And then we're talking about Saints and Giants to end the season. Saints have some pretty good receivers with Olave, but this is probably not an issue till the playoffs from now on, right? We could it could be if Justin Jefferson comes back into play, if Debo Samuel comes back to play, Brandon Ayuk. Until uh Metcalf, if the Seattle Seahawks happen to come here in the playoffs, Mike Evans. I'm not really worried about Slay. I think he'll be fine. I kind of want to see the Eagles beat the Seahawks in the playoffs. Just for fun? Well, I think Jalen Hurts could accomplish the one thing Carson Wentz couldn't, and that's beating the Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs. His first chance at a home playoff game, just like the last guy's last chance. Yes, and only chance. Uh, I could, that, Couldn't you see that as a second-round game? I absolutely could. 100%. Like, Eagles have the one seed, Seahawks get... Let's say they get the six seed, right? They get a they don't win the division. The Niners do. They come in and win, or they win their first game against somebody, or they're the five seed or whatever. Yeah, right now they're the the three seed ahead of Tampa Bay. I think the Niners come back to win that division. That just I think it kind of plays out that way. But I could see a second round of Eagles, Seahawks, and who would be the other matchup? Bucks, Vikings. So you have both. New York and Dallas losing on wild card weekend. Right, Super could, wild card weekend. Could happen. Or it could be maybe something like 49ers, Vikings in the second round, or something like that. We, we could have a, a matchup like that. That'd be fun. 215 592 9494. It's how you hop board. We'll come back. Your phone calls next hour. We'll take your calls. We'll also talk to Trey Wingo, one of our favorite NFL guests on the Eagles' loss, the referees, the Goddard injury. And uh, the Eagles signing Linval Joseph. We'll talk to Trey Wingo about all that coming up. And we'll play for you uh, a big chunk of the Dave Dabrowski press conference. And we'll react to it after all of the discussion today about Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, the shortstop market pitchers, all coming up on Sports Radio 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.